0: Runner nothing personal word of the day it is Wednesday March 23rd 2022 and the word of the day is Ghost Runner which is the single worst name trying to explain to you the fan what it means to have in Major League Baseball in the top of the 10th inning an extra inning game tied after nine innings all of a sudden the pitcher comes out to pitch the top of the 10th Everyone's excited. And then a guy trots out to second base. Man on second, no outs. I love the rule. It was just put back into play yesterday. The players and the owners agreed on something. They actually agreed on three things. Three rule changes, three additions to the CBA. But let's start with the ghost runner. That is something that started, we talked about that for four years inside the competition committee in baseball. What do we do to make the game shorter? We spoke to GMs. They cannot stand 18 inning games. You and I have talked about this, folks. You know that we spend extra inning games trying to figure out who we're going to call up, who we're going to send down, what we're going to do for pitching the next day, who's tired, who's not. Then we're tired. We're back at the park the next day. Then the players are taking Red Bull or Greenies or Whiteies or Pinkies or Brownies, puns all intended. It's just not good. So having a runner on second base means get him over, get him in. In theory, that's how baseball was before everyone's getting down on the knob and trying to hit home runs, which is what you're trying to do in extra innings when there's not a ghost runner. It's not a ghost runner. A ghost runner is when there is nobody there. How many times have you played as a kid a game when you didn't have enough people in your baseball game, let's say it was a three-on-three game, but so you had two, one pitcher, no catchers, you had someone from the batting team behind the plate, and then you had a few fielders, and then you have to hit again because you're playing with your sibling or your friends, so you get a double, but then you're up again. Therefore, you say, hey, there's a ghost runner on second. And then when you hit a single, you have to decide like umpires do, with that ghost runner have scored or would he not have? Ghost runners are not real. But MLB somehow called it a ghost runner. The ghost runner's back. Well, I've got the perfect solution because all of you say, everyone don't come to me with your problems, come to me with your solutions. I used to say that too to employees, right? Don't come into my office, even though the door's open, and start complaining about stuff that's wrong in the company. Tell me how you'd change it and then tell me whether or not the changes you are going to make are actually going to work and be helpful. All right, are you ready? Here's the name on three. One, two, three. The insert company name who will sponsor nationally for at least $50 million a year runner. The rum runner. The Pepsi runner the Coca-Cola runner, the Hertz runner, a little nod to OJ, the Avis runner. It doesn't matter. How about the American Airlines runner? We're all trying to make more revenue. No reason we have helmet decals coming. We have patch decals coming. Why not just name the runner? It's okay to sponsor it. Are people offended with the names of all of the bowl games or the names of the MVP trophy that gets sponsored or the name of the playoffs? The American League Championship Series brought to you by Lone Depot. Yes, we also gave the Marlins the name of their park as part of the deal. Park Series. It's totally fine. Players should want teams to increase revenue. The more revenue, the higher the payrolls, and maybe Jock Peterson will be quiet. Google it. Tweet it. Second rule that changed, no more seven-inning doubleheaders. I told you those would go away, and I'm sort of despondent about it. Two nine-inning games in a day, it's just tiring, it's too much. But the players wanted it, and the owners were going to say, okay. It's not as though you can sell more concessions, more beer. You stop beer sales in the seventh inning. In seventh inning doubleheaders, you can keep it the whole game. People tend to eat more in the beginning of the game, so shortening from 7 to 9 was no big deal. It's the same price for parking. They didn't lower the ticket price because there's two fewer innings played, so there was no downside to owners whatsoever other than players not getting two innings worth of stats each doubleheader game, which is a huge downside for players and a huge upside for owners. So they said, nah, we got to go back to playing 18 innings. Nine innings a game. At least they'll be an insert your company runner here so the games won't go 18 innings. But that's why players wanted nine innings, so it's back. They want to make sure they've got as many at-bats as possible, as many opportunities to pitch as many innings as possible. So that's the second rule, it's back. How about this one? The old COVID expanded roster. It's a yawner, but just know that Max Scherzer is the anomaly for all you Mets fans out there. He went five innings. He said he's going to be ready for 100 pitches starting game one of the season, although the Mets haven't announced who's their opening day starter, but we could do the math. DeGrom went yesterday, which was the 22nd. Did they announce it? Did they announce DeGrom, Coca? They announced DeGrom? Fine. Yeah, I guess he was there. He should start opening day. But the Mets also announced he's only going to be built up to 75 pitches for his first start, whereas Scherzer could go to 100. So all of the GMs and the managers got together and said, Hey, owners, we need more roster spots for April. And the owners said, Yeah, but that's giving another month of service time to three players. That's three months extra of service time per team. Think about that. That is 90 months of service time, right? 90 months. There's six months in a year. You doing the math? That's a lot of extra years of service, but the GM said we just need it or else there's going to be injuries, and the owners were convinced to say okay because injuries are even worse than giving a few extra players some extra service time. So there will be expanded rosters for the month of April from 26 to 28 players. By the way, all that math, you could cut coca. That is me being old, saying 25 to 28. We have a correction. It's 26 to 28. So it's two extra spots per team. So it's two players getting an extra month of service time. That's two months, which is 60 months, which is 10 extra. 60 divided by six. Anyway, whatever. Are we okay? Are we good? Everyone got that? so that's the second one and then what about the Otani rule so many rules named after players I like that we've got the Steve Cohn luxury tax now we have the Shohei Otani rule which means that if you pitch once you're removed as pitcher you are allowed to become the designated hitter boy that impacts a lot of people doesn't it let me think What the Angels did last year when they wanted Ohtani to stay in the game as a hitter when he was done pitching, even though he only started 23 games, they would stick him in the outfield. And the Angels said, we don't really want to stick him in the outfield because we'd rather him just be able to DH now that the American League has DH. And so the union and the owners agreed to this rule. I'm calling it the Toby Borland rule. The Toby Borland rule is when you make a rule that applies to only one person, Toby Borland. C, 2003 World Series ring rules. So the Shohei Ohtani rule means that all of you Angel fans, you'll get to see Shohei. And I wonder how long it'll be before there's another person like Shohei. I'm going to guess well after this CBA has expired, if ever. But it's still a rule. Okay. Any thoughts? Coca, do you like at all the name of my runner? Do you think that it's possible they could sell it? or are you just cynical that it's gonna, all right. Ooh, coca has got it. It's gonna be FTX runner. Get it? Because crypto, which no one really understands, it's sort of like ghost money because you really don't know. Do you have it? Do you not have it? Does someone die without giving you the password so all that money's lost? Can someone steal the password? Do they mine the coin? Do they figure out how to get paid in the coin or pay it? How does it work? God knows. That's it, the FTX runner, brought to you, by. And listen, if you really wanna hire somebody to come up with either the name of the ghost runner that's better than mine, or you wanna hire someone to help you sell sponsorships, it can be hard to find and hire that right candidate for your business, right? That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find the people you wanna talk to faster, and free. We use LinkedIn all the time, filling spots and sales and marketing, filling analytics on the baseball side. Everyone is on LinkedIn. You have to look at profiles. It's a way to sift through and winnow. So pay attention to your LinkedIn profile because people are looking at it. People are watching it. People are hiring from it. Do you know that you can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond? It's the world's largest network. There's like 770 million people, all in the United States. That can't be right, Coca. Is that possible? That'd be more. Pe- That'd be everyone having two links. It's the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Wow. That means there's billions of people still not on LinkedIn. Buy Mortimer. Buy that stock. It's going up. All those people in India and China are going to be on LinkedIn any minute now. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Wow, 40 million. Post your job for free at linkedin.com Samson. That's linkedin.com Samson. If you do that, you get it for free. Of course, there's going to be like a thing you have to click that says terms and conditions apply, and you're going to want to be very careful and read everything before you click it. Does anyone read before you click the accept all terms. You know when you're trying to buy something online or you're trying to sign up for something and it doesn't let you and you wanna know what the hell's going on? Like, did you put a mistake in your credit card number? Did you not put your birth date in right? Are you supposed to put in two numbers, six, eight? Do they need four, one, nine, six, eight? Is it supposed to be 0829 for the expiration of your credit card or just 829? It can all be very confusing. And then you say, God damn it, I forgot to click the terms and conditions acceptance box and then it says view it how many of you if you're forced to view it just scroll to the bottom you do a quick scroll and it gets you right to the bottom so you can click it we are all a lawyer's dream folks because we're signing stuff and accepting terms we don't have the first clue what it says we could be signing something when we sign on to a streaming service when you buy anything frankly you're giving up the right to sue you're going to arbitration instead of into a jury trial You're doing it in the laws of a state that is positive for big corporations, whichever state that may be. And of course, you are signing away any possibilities that the product is defective or that you're gonna get what you're supposed to get when you're supposed to get it. It's like when you do deliveries online and you pay for the overnight delivery, but then you see that it hasn't even shipped yet. And then you have to call to get the second day delivery payment instead of the overnight delivery. Try to get the refund. And then you're like, screw it. It's an extra $10. But I've been on hold for an hour and a half, and I still can't find a live person. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? All right. It was March 22nd yesterday. That is exchange date in this strange year. MLB arbitration exchange date. Here's a quick primer if you don't want to follow Jeff Passon on Twitter and learn about arbitration from him, where he tried to explain it totally incorrectly. So here we go. Go to past episodes of Nothing Personal for full explanations of arbitration. So many of you are new to the show. I can't tell you which show it was, but just sort of search arbitration, if there's a way to do that in past episodes, or... Get to coca and his dms and ask him which episodes but we talked about the fact that if you are a player who has just started in baseball and you have not been in the league for three years the team gets to decide your salary if you've been in the league for six years or more you're a free agent you can go anywhere and then the market quote unquote decides your salary but if you're between three years and six years then the team tells you what they want to get paid you Tell the team what you want to get paid as a player. And if you don't agree, you go in front of an arbitration panel. Not a judge, three people. You sit there and you say, looking right across the room at your player, you stink. You're injured all the time. Our team stinks. We finished in last place. Our attendance stinks. Look at these numbers. You don't deserve $8 million. You deserve $6.8 million. And then the player says, but look at all these other comparable players who are making 8000000 million. I'm just like they are. And then the arbitration panel, the next day, submits a decision. They have to choose either the number the team gives or the number the player gives. They can't choose a different number. It has to be one or the other. So all arguments before an arbitration panel... Are all based on whether that player should be above or below the midpoint of the submission. So let's say Max Fried of the Atlanta Braves, of the World Championship Atlanta Braves, wants to make $6.8 million. And the Atlanta Braves say, Nah, I want you to get 6.6. And they go in front of a hearing. What they're arguing is that Max Fried either does or does not deserve to get 6.7. Because if the arbitrator believes that Max Fried's number is 6.701, then he wins. The player wins. If the arbitrator is convinced that Max Freed's number is 6.699999, then the team wins. Are we following the math? So this year has been a spectacularly different year because the timeline is so crazy. Arbitration exchange dates are normally in January, and then you go to arbitration hearings in February, and it's pretty much done before the start of spring training. Every once in a while, a hearing will bleed into the start of spring training in early February, but they're done before games start. But when there's a labor dispute and a delay the way there was in 1995 and the way there was in 2022 you have arbitration hearings that are taking place after games have started because spring training games have started quick detour here please don't tell anyone what your team's spring training record is please don't go on twitter or instagram or facebook or go to your office water cooler or your virtual zoom room and say our team is 5-0. Oh, our team is 1-5. and five. We stink. We're 5-0. and oh, We're the greatest team of all time. When you run a baseball team, your manager, your players, your GM, your president, I'm leaving out the owner, if you ask them what their record is, they won't know. Wins and losses in spring training are more meaningless than any other stat in any other sport, maybe preseason NFL games. They just don't matter. You are there to get your players ready for the regular season. Don't look at line scores. Jacob DeGrom struck out three people in nine pitches. Max Meyer went two innings. Perfect. Scherzer, one run, one hit, five innings. He's good to go and ready. They're not using pitch sequences the way they would during a regular season game. The approach is different when you're a hitter. Everything is different about spring training it's about getting ready for the season hard stop but if there are teams and this is me folks I was guilty of this when I knew that our team was going to be bad we had just done a a rebuild a retool you may call it a fire cell like in 2006 go back coca but I bet you that we won the grapefruit league in 2006 because we knew we weren't going to be good during the season, even though we ended up being pretty good and Girardi won manager of the year. But we wanted to win something. We wanted, we had a trophy with Tampa, whoever wins the season series. It's called the, the Grapefruit Series is when you win spring training, but the something, maybe it's the Alligator Alley Series, whoever has the best record during the season between the Rays and the Marlins against each other. It was just little things that we did to keep ourselves occupied, motivated, Yeah, it's not great, but it is the fact. So if your team is all concerned, do you remember last year's wait to See, Coco, when we said the two teams that won spring training, I believe it was the Kansas City Royals and the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins. I believe they won their respective grapefruit leagues. And I said those teams will not make the playoffs. The Marlins lost 95 games. I don't know what the Royals did, but they did not make the playoffs either. There is zero correlation. All right, so we're good. Can we move on? Back to arbitration. So during the course of arbitration, my experience started back in 1999 with arbitration. And I had a terrible experience with a player named Wilton Guerrero, who was Vladimir Guerrero's brother. And the experience I had was we made an offer to Wilton Guerrero, Wilton Guerrero said no. Vladimir Guerrero was upset that we weren't paying Wilton Guerrero enough. Vladimir Guerrero's agent went to our owner and said, you're making Vladimir upset, pay Wilton. And I said, we're going to go to a hearing with Wilton because he's asking for a number that is not realistic. He's not going to win. And Jeffrey, because he was worried about Vladdy, made us settle with Wilton Guerrero before a hearing. And that was the last time. For the rest of my career, we were what's called a file-to-go team. We started the concept where we said, and you can look up the history of this, there were very few teams, doing. there was no one doing it as strictly as we were doing it, which was if we exchange numbers with you, we are going to a hearing. So if you wanna file an unrealistic number for yourself, please go ahead and do it, you're gonna lose, and we're gonna offer you less than our last offer to settle. What do I mean by that? Let's say you exchange on March 22nd, even though that wasn't the date, it was yesterday, but in other years, it's not. And you're trying to settle with, pick a player, Aaron Judge. And you're negotiating with Aaron Judge and his agent up to the time that you exchange. If he were a Marlon, by the way, we'll talk about him as a Yankee and what happened yesterday with Aaron Judge. And we say, Aaron, our last and best offer is $17.5 million. And just know this, if you don't take it, you're not gonna see it again. So then the player doesn't take it and then we file below our last offer. So the Yankees filed 17 million in the Aaron Judge case. So Aaron Judge by going to a hearing is risking making $500,000 less than he could have made had he accepted. But the player will say to himself, I'm willing to take that chance because I'm filing for a number that is so far greater than what their last offer was. Aaron Judge filed at 21 million. The Yankees filed at 17 million. That's a $4 million difference. A difference like that, you better be damn sure there's gonna be a settlement because when you are a team that is filed to go and you never waiver from that, there's never a $4 million difference. I want you to take a look there's a website called Spotrack, and it lists all of the MLB arbitration filings, what the players filed, and what the teams filed. And what you'll notice is the number of teams who are now filed to go all these years later. It's the majority of them. So Trey Mancini of the Orioles wants $8 million. The Orioles offered That's a That's an example. How about Lucas Giolito of the White Sox? A notorious file-to-go team. is what lucas wants the team offered 7.3 are they going to go to hearing over two hundred thousand dollars we've gone to hearing with players over hundred and fifty thousand dollars because if you say that you're a file to go team and then you settle after you file then the next year players won't believe you agents won't believe you and they will not engage in a negotiation that will result in a settlement and they will not file a number to go, they'll file a number to settle. What does that mean? When you file a number knowing that the team is not gonna go to trial, you are filing a number to settle. Generally, these things settle at the midpoint. So Aaron Judge files at 21, the Yankees file at 17. I'll bet your bippy There's a settlement around 19. it's called a midpoint settlement players who know they're going to get a midpoint settlement by definition are going to file higher in order to increase what that midpoint would be we didn't want to do midpoint settlements because what they do is they actually move the salary structure up because once a player settles or once a player wins or loses arbitration, meaning once a player has a salary, that's the salary associated with that player for all time going forward. And arbitration uses comps. So the next time there's a player like Aaron Judge, you're not going to read, Aaron Judge won at 21 and the team won at 17. You're going to read what Aaron Judge's actual salary was. So the purpose of being a file-to-trial team, a file-to-go team, is that it squeezes the bid in the ask it makes the gap as small as possible so it's easy to see which teams are going to settle and which teams are going to go all the way to trial but this year may be different if i'm running a team this year and i know i've got the season starting i really don't want to focus on an arbitration hearing I don't want the player to leave spring training when he should be playing a game. I don't want the player to even leave a regular season game, even though that happened in 95, where some of the hearings happened once the season started. There are almost 30 players who exchanged numbers yesterday. Do you really think there's going to be 30 arbitration cases? 30 hearings? No chance, toilet pants. Here's what's going to happen. 2022 is going to be looked at as an exception. Teams that have always been filed to go teams and have been completely strict 100% of the time will find a reason to explain away why they settled. They will say, don't think that we've changed our policy, but these are extenuating circumstances. We are going to settle, but not moving forward. Got it? So I'll give you a wait to see. There will be under- seven arbitration hearings out of all the players who exchanged. And what are there, 26 of them, 28 of them? I guess we could count right now, right? Ready? Live. Five for the Braves. That's a lot for a world championship team. Two, that's seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Two for the Royals is 14. Four for the Marlins, 18, 19, 20, 21. Gary, Chris Bassett, new Mets player. Gary Sanchez, new Twins player. It's fun to go to a hearing with a player you just met. Aaron Judge, I lost count. Brian Reynolds, the guy that the Pirates won't trade to the Marlins. Three for the Mariners. What's the total? Let's just say 26. I don't want to count again. (laughs) I can't talk and count at the same time. And don't get me started with gum. Okay, one little other nugget about arbitration that's misinformation out there. People are concerned that players who do not have a settlement yet, who do not have a salary, actually are not under contract. That's untrue. Do you know what you do in an arbitration hearing? You actually present a two contracts that are signed by the player, and they are signed by the team. So you are under contract, and the only thing that is not filled in is the amount of the pay. The team submits one with their number, the players submit one with their number, and then... The arbitrator chooses one. Sometimes you just submit one contract signed by both parties that's actually blank. And then the arbitrator fills in the amount. Either the team submission or the player submission. But either way, the players are under contract. So don't worry. Okay, thank you, Coca. The number's thirty one. I'm still taking. Can I make it seven point one? Did I ready? Is the is the official way to see seven, or can I make it seven and a half? It's totally up to you, Coca. You decide. But there will be under seven and a half arbitration hearings. There will be more settlements than normal. All right, we come back. We're going to review a movie that several people asked me to watch, but you didn't have to ask me. I was 100% going to watch it. Tomorrow, I'm going to review Jackass because that's my plan today. After the show, uh, I've got a few things to do. And then after that, I'm going to settle in. I'm going to have a brownie because I'm hungry. (laughs) And I'm going to watch Jackass forever. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here every day. You can follow us on Twitter, David P. Sampson. You can go on Spotify or Apple. Please write a review on Apple. We're falling behind. We were trying to get to 3,000 ratings. I don't know why, but just write something like, hey, this is a good show. Or, hey, he sucks, but I listen every day. I'm good with that. Just give five stars and say something. And then go to YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. There are a bunch of commercials, but it's like a TV show. There's commercials. You can deal with it. Some of them are good. And by the way, just know that Coca doesn't get one penny from those commercials. Yeah, neither do I. One day soon, though. All right, I watched a movie. Adrian Lin made another movie. Have you seen Unfaithful with Diane Lane and Richard Gere? Have you seen Fatal Attraction with Glenn Close and Michael Douglas and Ann Archer. Have you ever heard the expression, we've got a bunny boiler? If not, I thought that'd be an expression that would last forever. A bunny boiler is someone who is a little crazy. Someone who is going to make your life difficult if you have not done the right thing inside your marriage or in a relationship. The word is bunny boiler. So Adrian Lynn has not done a movie I could say I – I love Flashdance. He did that movie too. By the way, Jennifer – anyway. Coco, are we stopping the show so we can say Adrian Lynn did Flashdance? Can we keep going now? Are you good? Okay. He has a new movie out. Remember when Ben Affleck was dating Anna DeArmas because they had filmed a movie together? They met on set. They had an on-set romance, and they kept dating afterwards. And they were seen all over. And Anyway, they made a movie called Deepwater adrian lynn hadn't made a movie since unfaithful like 20 years ago and his movies are erotic they are thrillers there's nudity there's murder there's suspense and there's one giant back tattoo on ben affleck where the people had to say god damn i got to spend so much time removing his big tattoo because there's quite a few sex scenes so what's my view of deep water Here's a question. It's an adult movie, no doubt. It's got some level of suspense. It's got a few interesting layers to Ben Affleck's character. Did he do it? Did he not do it? He said he did it, but then he didn't do it, but he could have done it. You've got the wife, Anna D'Armas, who plays a character named Melinda, who is a swinger to say the most, a philanderer to say the least, and the life of the party beyond belief not exactly a realistic view of suburbia at least not the suburbia that i've ever seen these people are hosting parties every day the movie itself is a train wreck it's terrible there is one redeeming thing about it it's hot i admit it when you see two major movie stars and they're willing to get after it i'm in i wasn't interested tracy Letts is in this too who i love but i wasn't interested in the outcome i didn't care i thought the end was the most bizarre as a matter of fact if you don't watch the movie fast forward to the scenes that you want to watch and then go to the credits and ask yourself why were the credits done the way they were done i had a very important question about that and i'll never get an answer okay deep water you may want to check it out all right coca you know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So, you want to talk to Samson. That is from the movie Half Baked, which is what you should be right before you watch Jackass Forever. There's a character in it called Samson, and people want to talk to him. So, we do a segment called So You Want to Talk to Samson, which is when you go on my Twitter at David P. Samson or Instagram, but mostly Twitter, and ask a question. DMs are open. I get to as many as I can. There's still things that are blue, but I try. I really do, and I do better than most. So can you explain the MLB antitrust exemption so that I can explain it to my friends? I like that kind of question because it's one of those things that's being talked about right now, and you hear it from time to time, and your eyes may glaze over. Major League Baseball has an antitrust exemption. What the hell does that mean? And then all of a sudden, you get a video yesterday, a sneak preview of my not-friend Brian Gumble doing an interview with Bernie Sanders. You know where I am politically, right? Pretty much down the middle, although I've never said that before. I'm not a big fan of Bernie Sanders. I don't take him seriously. But what he did yesterday is laughable. He is going to put forward a bill that is called Save American Baseball Act, the SABA, the Save American Baseball Act. He wants to repeal the antitrust exemption that MLB currently has. I wanna play a little video of what he's gonna say that was released by my not friend, Brian Gumbel, go. And it's the same exact thing with baseball. These billionaires making all kinds of money, and yet they could care less about ordinary people. And by the way, one of the concerns that I have personally is that if you're a working class family, you know, husband, wife, two kids, and you want to go to a major league baseball, it's almost completely unaffordable right now. <laughs> I'm so tired of that narrative. Husband, wife, two kids. Totally unaffordable to go to a baseball game. Okay. Have you been on StubHub recently? Bernie? Bernie? Are you here for the people? Baseball is the single most affordable sport that there is. The price of entry to a baseball game on a random Wednesday, if you're paying more than 10 bucks for a seat in any stadium in the country, then you're not doing it right. Don't give me the, oh, it's $400. I got to pay $85 a ticket times four. That's ready right there, $340. Then by the time I get a hot dog and a beer, and then for my child a hat and a pennant, I'm at $400 and I'm working class. I can't afford that. Okay. And you think... That repealing the antitrust exemption will make tickets more affordable let me just make sure i understand bernie what you're trying to do because you don't understand what you're trying to do because you don't understand the antitrust exemption so here it goes did you know that the nfl and the nhl and the nba also have certain exemptions to the antitrust laws do you know the antitrust laws are laws that are meant to encourage competition that's the way to really bear it to its bare bones. You don't want companies colluding to quash competition. That is why you see when these airlines get together or merge or cell phone companies, they're always looked at by the government to make sure that competition will not be quashed, therefore having a deleterious impact on the customers because then prices go up. Do you know that the antitrust exemption that is held by the three leagues, not MLB, is so they can pool their rights and sell each of their rights to one buyer so they can broadcast? MLB gets to pool its licensing. It gets to pool its broadcast rights so they can sell out of MLB.com. They can combine all revenues and then split them for baseball cards, for uniforms, etc., Do you know that the antitrust is what enables baseball to be in charge of relocation? But if you take that right away, which is what Bernie is saying, people have come after it since 1922. It's been 100 years since the exemption was put in by Justice Holmes, and the reason for the antitrust exemption is baseball was viewed as not being interstate commerce, That's sort of the technical rule, but if you're explaining it to your friends, just say that when teams are playing each other, they are playing from different states. So in theory, you're doing business across state lines. However, a game is in one particular state and what they're trying to do is take the rights that teams have in their own territory, combine them with the rights of the other teams in their home territory, put them all together and then sell them, sell the rights to broadcast, sell the rights for uniforms and logos and marks and intellectual property. It's all normal. None of that is a concern of Congress. What about the minor league issue? Now Bernie's got a point. Bernie believes that he is advocating for minor league players because the antitrust exemption gives Major League Baseball the right to pay players on the minor leagues what they want. They got a ruling because they were sued that they don't have to pay a minimum wage there's a pending lawsuit that we discussed about that very issue the antitrust exemption is something that allows mlb to tell teams whether they can or cannot play in a certain place so bernie believes that if there's no antitrust exemption Stuart sternberg of the tampa bay rays could stand up say we're leaving tampa and we're moving to manhattan That's not how it works. The absence of the antitrust exemption will not in any way allow your team to leave and go to your city that doesn't have a team without a vote of the owners. Right now, in order for Stuart Sternberg to relocate, he needs a vote of the owners. That won't change if the exemption goes away. All of a sudden, there won't be more minor league teams if the antitrust exemption goes away. All of a sudden, there won't be higher pay for more minor league players if the antitrust exemption goes away. All of a sudden, ticket prices won't go further down if the antitrust exemption goes away. What's misleading about this entire issue is that Bernie's trying to appeal to his liberal base, his uber-liberal base, by trying to beat Chuck Rhodes and say, billionaires are bad and billionaires like jeff bezos like steve Ballmer, like mark zuckerberg just name all of them you can like steve Cohn, like all the owners of every team jerry jones just name them all they are here to help themselves and not you and bernie wants to help you and hurt them okay you don't need an antitrust exemption to take care of that change the tax code you could try that first So when you are in an elevator trying to explain the antitrust exemption to your friends, here's what I would say. I would say that baseball has a court-granted exemption which allows them to act like the monopoly that they are. It's that simple. The National Football League, the National Hockey League, and the National Basketball Association also have antitrust exemption though much more limited which makes it easier for other leagues to start which could compete with those leagues horse hockey don't say that to your friends because then you're parroting what all these people are telling you about the antitrust exemption If you take it away, there'll be more competition. There'll be another professional baseball league, just like the XFL and USFL have started so they can compete with the NFL. Well, guess who's supporting the XFL and USFL? Yeah, you got it, the NFL. You think that there's gonna be another Major League Baseball because you get rid of the antitrust exemption and like it's gonna be the Saudi Arabian tour with Phil Mickelson? G-M-A-B, do yourself a favor. When your friends ask you about the antitrust exemption just tell them that it's not going to be repealed tell them that rob manford is spending zero seconds worrying about bernie sanders appearing on brian Gumble. tell them that there's not one person one owner one president one executive who sits around saying oh my god oh my god we're going to lose our antitrust exemption <laughs> i'm petrified i'll tell you what petrifies me and embarrasses me I didn't know Steph Curry was hurt. I try to keep up on everything. I do. And it's hard. And I am—I uh, take my picks of the day seriously. And I had the Warriors eight over the Magic, and I didn't realize Curry was not playing. And it's an excuse. When there's a load management, and I don't know a player's not playing, and then they choose not to play after I record, and I lose that pick, that happens. And that bothers me, and I can't stand that. But when there's a piece of information about a game that I don't know, and I tell you, and I place a bet based on my pick of the day, and it loses the way it did with the Magic actually beating the Warriors last night, 94-90, that's when I'm not doing my job. And if you think I don't take the picks of the day seriously, I do, because there's money at stake. There's your money, there's my money, everybody's money, and money matters, We are 32 and 26 right now. I'm taking the loss. But here's the penalty. The penalty is that I now have to give you a caveat for the next five picks of the day. Five days. So people listening to the show are going to hear it and you're going to remember it. If you want to bet on my picks of the day, make sure you also do your independent research because I am not a professional picker. Now, there are all these people, and we interviewed one. Todd Furman is really good. He's such a great guy. There are all these people. If you could pay money, you could pay some money, you can follow them and get the newsletter, and they do their analytics, and they put it in their Dr. Seuss machine, and it comes out with value, who to bet, who not to bet. I am giving you my reasons why I choose games, and my reasons are not analytical or technical. They are based on my view of what's going to happen during a particular game. And the Warriors, having lost two in a row, playing as crappy team, they needed to win that game. Draymond Green comes out after the game they lose yesterday and says, "Man, we got to be better. We're soft, and if we don't get better, with or without Steph Curry, playoffs." So, here's the pick tonight: Brooklyn Nets. For- Because when they're in, as Kyrie Irving is playing, and I try to guess whether or not having Kyrie Irving, not having Kyrie Irving, whether or not they feel they have to win, they don't have to win, what their sort of view of the world is, but choosing the Nets has become very problematic for me. But then, for whatever reason, they're on the road against a really good team tonight, giving two and a half points. They are on the road. So this is the the current line. It is Brooklyn minus two and a half on the road against the Grizzlies. So then the question is, does that mean Jaws not playing? Has it been announced? These are the things that I don't know when I record in the morning that may happen by the afternoon. So my penalty when I'm 32 and 26 is that there is no pick of the day today. And when I don't give a pick, you better take that seriously. But I'm doing work, and we'll have another pick tomorrow. I take your money seriously, I promise. All right, that's our show. I think we're good. You got a little antitrust talk. We have a new name for the ghost runner. We have arbitration. We've got baseball, and we've got Anna Armas. It's just business. This has been Nothing Personal.